What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and we are making our way to the end of April. It's already April 26th, and my goodness, it's freezing cold here again in New England, and I know, PK, (laughs) you are suffering through the winds of Tucson. (laughs) But how are you doing tonight? Oh, doing fine. Jealous. It's the low 90s. The winds have been just horrendous, but the trees look fabulous if you don't have to breathe in the flowers. But other than that, it's a nice place to be right now. Oh, good. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. Now, I know we were talking earlier about May. What is coming yeah. up? Are you going to prepare us? So we need definitely, to know. Yeah. Uh, yes, definitely, because... May is a three-month, and a three-month is all about creativity, communications of all types. There's also a luck factor that goes along with it as well. So being a little prepared is a little nicer than walking into it and finding out afterwards you forgot the good stuff. It's kind of like uh, using numerology. You can use some, excuse me, <clears throat> some of the frustrations from your life, and you have to know when to take place. And a three-month is an excellent time to Try something different. Look into things that are full of fun and enjoyable. You're going to find that numerology can give you a great view of what's to come and what needs to be rearranged so it gives you a good feel for what's taking place. Being a luck factor to going with it, it's going to be the best of times. Take a look at your creative side. Take a look at communications. Be a little cautious about some of the things we say. They may pop up what we think as opposed to, what we really wanted to say, or the other way around. But that luck factor that goes with it. So check things out. This might be a good time to take a look at maybe investing, taking a look at selling things. But anything to do with communications and a luck side of life will take place in May. So it's an excellent opportunity. So choose what's the best time for you to get things moving. Don't get stuck in a rut. And then the next thing you know, it's gone by because there's going to be a cost that could be emotional as well as financial if you don't take a good look at what's around you. So take advantage of it. So you've got a heads up ahead of time. Take a look at what you want to create, where you want to save, and what you want to spend because you're going to get all kinds of ideas about changing the colors that you like, the clothes that you wear. Oh, it's going to be fun to go shopping with you this month coming up. Oh, so have nice. a good time. <laughs> I like that. I like shopping. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> Main thing is oh, that that's there's good. that luck factor that goes with it for a change. I like the luck factor. Yeah, buy your lottery tickets, everybody. Me and too. oh, yeah. yeah. You know what? And don't forget to go to our YouTube channel where we have the grab a voice code for attracting that's quick right. money. <laughs> so that's a good time to go to our YouTube channel and, and like and follow us there because we're going to be doing more. Our next one will be on Miracles 777. So yeah. be sure to continue to follow us on our YouTube channel. 
So, and take a look at our homepage for supernaturalgirlswithaz.com where we have a lot of health products, including the Endolite Band, which I talk about every week because it's such an amazing mm-hmm. technology where you can literally take your health back into your own hands. This has been incredibly engineered by Dr. Weber in Germany, and it is an amazing piece of technology. You just wear it on your wrist for a half an hour a day, and it has all kinds of health benefits. You can read about it. And also, you get a discount. If you want to buy one, you can click on our link on our homepage, use the code SUPERNATURALGIRLS, and you'll get about $100 off. Again, it's in euros, so God knows where the dollar is today, but you will get money on your purchase. I know, really. Well, I know there's UFOs being spotted everywhere, and I've been a little lax about sharing some of what I've seen with the rest of you, but there is a video I plan on getting up so you can see. There was a model flying on a propeller plane who was taking footage out of the window, and all of a sudden this UFO flew by, and there is no doubt that it is a flying disc. And people are blown away by the clarity of this. They're saying this is one of the best UFO videos that anybody has ever published. So I'll be sure to post it so you can see it for yourself and give us your feedback. But it seems like, and it's because it's happening, and it not just seems like, it is happening that these, these sightings are happening more and more. And, of course, thank goodness for cell phones. We can all take our videos and photographs as best we can and post them. So uh, we know that the government has stopped denying it, but we also know they certainly don't plan on telling us a lot more. So we'll have to just do our own sleuthing, our own good detective work, as we always do, and report back to you. We've got some really interesting guests coming up that we'll be talking about more details on actual disclosure from real people, because we know real disclosure will never come from the government, so you got to come here to Supernatural Girls to hear what's going on, and we will tell you. That is for sure. So, tonight, we're talking about a very powerful topic. We're talking about quantum spirituality with a, an incredible guest. Now, Peter has an interesting backstory. He's going to share all of this with us tonight. Peter Canova. He is an international businessman who, after a series of life-changing spiritual experiences, began writing on spirituality and consciousness. Now, he's the author of the award-winning First Souls Trilogy, and he has contributed to the popular Chicken Soup for the Soul series. He hosts his own podcast, Quantum Spirituality, on Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, and he lives in Florida and California, and tonight he called us in from California. So, Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be on with you. Great to have you here, and congratulations on your new book. It just came out, what, in February, I believe? Um, yeah, actually, uh, it uh, it did, and um, it sold out pretty quickly. And we had a, a reprint uh, on it, and um, it's uh, uh, it's back out on the market now, and uh, it's also out in audiobook form. And uh, anyone that goes to my website, peterconova.com, can you know access all the information on the book. That's fabulous. Oh, wonderful. Now, please tell us how did you get into this? Because you're a businessman. How did you decide that this was a passion of yours, quantum spirituality? Well, years ago, long ago and far away when I was in my 20s, <laughs> um, I probably wouldn't <laughs> uh, have been the most likely candidate to um, go through some of the things that I went through. But basically, um, to make a long story short, I found out that I was an accurate medical intuitive and when I started to shove the disbelief aside at what I was doing and experiencing, it opened up the floodgates, and I was having all kinds of experiences with clairaudience, clairvoyance, premonition, remote viewing, um, you know, kind of a full spectrum of what back in those days was called ESP. Today we would, you know, probably mm-hmm. describe it something more as, you know, spiritual connection or spiritual experiences. And these experiences led me to literally a light bulb moment 
of, of how um, everything in the world is connected and unified. And I know that sounds like a cliche because a lot of people say that, but when you experience it, 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 it it's something altogether different from hearing about it. It's, it's like a, a moment of peace and harmony like you've never felt before. And you feel so relaxed and at ease in the world and your fears tend to go away and you tend to have this overriding feeling of love for everything because you're one with it. And uh, that was such a, a, a seminal experience for me that I, you know, I said to myself, well, you know, I'm a Capricorn, okay? And I couldn't just go through these experiences. I needed to understand the nuts and bolts of what was behind them. I wanted to know, well, you know, why am I experiencing all this? What's behind this? So it started to lead me into researching, and uh, I came on the field of quantum physics. And that's probably not a coincidence because quantum physics, you know, it's essentially about light, matter, and energy, and so is mystical wisdom. Uh, and that's why they, they so closely overlap. And uh, I started looking into the quantum world and making discoveries, and I started noticing very strong parallels between quantum physics and some of the ancient mystical teachings. And I said, wow, that's something, because, you know, we can hear about things that science says, and you can hear about things that ancient sages or mystics say, but when you put them side by side and you see they're pretty much almost saying the same thing, it's it's pretty powerful because where there's smoke, there's fire, and it really, really starts to uh, make you believe that some of these things we've been hearing, which are really counterintuitive to our, um, you know, apparent reality, uh, well, there may be something to that, you know, uh, because you have these twin yeah. twin lenses, you know, telling you telling you something different. Now, let me ask you, when you had this moment of experiencing uh, unification and we're all one and all of those cliches that we do always hear but not always experience, was that like a samadhi moment for you? Did you have this experience during meditation, or how did this come about? When I first had my encounters with being a medical intuitive, um, and I I diagnosed my first three or four cases, and I found out that they were completely accurate and dead on when all they did was give me the name, address, and information of people, and then I was able to talk in detail about, you know, describe in detail what I saw in their medical conditions. It it just struck me um, that how am I how am I able to get this information about somebody else? And I I had at first the intellectual thought that, you know, there has to be a connection. We have to be connected in some way for me to experience experience this information about other people. But I mm-hmm. just went home that night and I laid down in my bed. Um, I think well, actually it wasn't even at night. I think it was actually in the late afternoon. I laid down to take a nap and and it was and I, I, I'm sorry to indulge in cliches, but literally it was like a brilliant light in my mind that um, I was sensing and this um, uh, this uh, this feeling, uh, this information came to me. And when I read more about uh, mystics like the Gnostics, who I, you know, really specialize in, uh, the ancient Gnostic mystics, I read that this um, experience of seeing this pearly, opalescent white light uh, of energy transmission was actually a fairly common occurrence amongst the, the old Gnostic adepts. So, um, you know, I guess, uh, I guess I was experiencing part of that reality. Yeah. Oh, that's how fascinating. Yeah. That, that is, that's amazing that you went from businessman to remote viewer and medical intuitive. That's quite a journey. And yet you accepted it all. It sounds pretty easily. Did this run in your family? Were either your parents very intuitive or psychic? No, not really. Um, well, my father was maybe a little bit more understanding. My mother thought, she, oh, "Why are you wasting your time on this stuff?" Um, and uh, when I start, when I started, when, actually, when I started to write my, when I started to write my first book, the first Souls trilogy, um, my mother was, you know, very skeptical. It was like, kind of, why are you writing religious books? And I was saying, "Well, Ma, they're not really religious. They're something a little bit different." And uh, she didn't really um, understand it all that much. My father was a little bit more uh, sympathetic towards it because he actually experienced 
um, some things that I had done directly that I think led him to be a little bit more of a, a believer in what was going on. But, um, no, it was like uh, my family didn't really completely understand. And, and actually, um, at, at a point, uh, I, I mean, I'm still quite involved in our business, but I did ease off. Uh, for quite a period of time and, uh, you know, probably left a lot of money on the table doing that. And I turned the reins over to my brothers uh, to, you know, to run our companies. But, you know, at that point it was like a calling. And uh, what I shared, you know, had so changed my life that I wanted to share those experiences with other people. And at first I decided, even though the current book we're talking about, Quantum Spirituality, it's my first nonfiction book. And it represents about 35 or 40 years of research into these um issues that we're talking about my my first books i decided to do in a fictional form because i wanted it to be entertaining reading and i wanted the themes uh that uh that i was speaking of to be um exposed in the in a fictional form that would be entertaining and the series did very well it won 25 national and international book awards and became kind of like a cult hit and we're working on turning it into a tv series right now but um, oh, no, my family uh, really, really thought that it, you know, particularly at first, that I was maybe going off on a tangent, <laughs> going off the deep end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for you, you found your place pretty quickly with all of this. But for the, our general population, what is the benefit of understanding the nexus of quantum physics and spirituality or metaphysics? I mean, what is the benefit of that? All right, so let me talk a little bit about quantum spirituality and what it's about and really why I wrote this book. It's about creating a framework of knowledge for people to have contact with higher consciousness using science and mysticism as like a twin litmus test for understanding certain spiritual and, and, and you know, scientific themes. Um, and what it indicates is that our the apparent reality that we feel is what we call reality is really a projection of something that's far deeper and different than anything our senses detect. And, you know, ultimately, ultimately it's about overcoming fear by answering life's deepest questions. What, what's the nature of creation? What's life's purpose? Is there a higher power or is there life after death? What is the purpose of a human being? So um, that, that is sort of like the general answer to your question. The more specific answer to your question, and I'm going to say at this juncture, to you and to your listening audience, don't believe anything I tell you tonight. Now, I'm <laughs> okay. not saying to I'm not I'm not okay. going to say to you. I'm not saying to you don't listen. Yeah, I'm not saying don't listen to what I'm saying and don't consider what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I want to see people become their own prophets with their own revelations. So others have done it before, and you know into this and there's really four elements concerning concerning this whole thing it's faith belief knowledge and revelation so faith beliefs and certain types of knowledge can be misleading so let's take for an example say you have no direct experience of water and someone tells you that water burns and they give you a pamphlet and it describes how water burns so now you've taken it on faith and you have some book derived knowledge that water burns and you may well likely now develop a belief that water burns. Not until you experience putting your hands on the water that you know the truth of it. So if you look at it as a spectrum of truth, faith and belief are kind of at the bottom. Knowledge is at the midpoint, and revelation is the goal or the high point. And knowledge can be acquired knowledge, like you read in books, facts and books and everything else. But there's a different type of knowledge. It's called experiential knowledge. And this is where the Gnostic masters were able to go and penetrate other dimensions and bring back information that was quite astonishing into uh, our, our realm. Um, when, when, you, when you actually have a direct experience of something, you really do know the truth of it. And it's sort of like I said to you just now when you were asking me about my background, you know, a lot of these things sound like cliches, but, but once you've experienced these things, you own them. I mean, you know they're real. It becomes a second nature to you that this other uh, dimension of, of existence is out there and that it interpenetrates us and everything about the world, and you're cognizant of it. It's kind of like, um, I guess I would liken it to a radio broadcast that's going 24-7, but most of us don't tune into it. We don't tune the right dial. But but like myself, 
I was tuning all the time. I always had questions, and I kept searching and tuning. And finally, I hit that frequency, and I realized it was coming over with all kinds of life-changing information for me. So what I'm trying to do by uh, talking about uh, quantum physics and about the ancient, uh, the, the knowledge of the ancient mystics and showing how they really overlay each other is building up a knowledge base for people to really have the first steps of acquiring, of, of, of experiencing that with their own uh, meditation, with their own practice, using this as, a, as an arena in which they can walk into and they can have experiences with extraordinary consciousness. And that's, that's my whole purpose here. Like I say, I want to see people becoming their own prophets. So you don't have to believe anything I tell you. You don't have to take me on faith. Just listen to what I'm saying. Use it as signposts and Delve into it yourself. Look at the research. Look at the information and make up your own mind, and then you can incorporate that into your own belief system and your own meditational practice or whatever avenues you choose. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, it, may, it means a lot when somebody can have their own experience, and there are a lot of people mm-hmm. that don't make time to do meditation or whether it's a walking meditation or a sitting meditation. And then they go, well, I can't do that, or I I don't have time for that. But then they're letting the world consume them. So this external world just takes over. The technology is is going at such a rapid pace. Everybody's got their face in their technology. So it is important to make time to withdraw from that and, like you say, follow your own practice, whatever it may be, whether it's prayer, meditation, both, whatever. But a lot of people I'm seeing aren't doing that. So they're missing out on this connection to the frequency that you're talking about tonight. What advice do you have for them? Right. And, and what I'm hoping is that, like, if they read this book and they take it to heart, it sets up the preconditions, fire them to take those next steps that you're saying they're not paying attention to. That's what, the, that's what I'm really hoping to do. I'm hoping that this information inspires people to understand there's way more out there than what we commonly accept and what our senses detect. And that if they make some time and they build up their desire to understand some of the deeper issues that we face in life, that they will get answers. And you talk about this reality as a simulation, and certainly we've heard that a lot. And what do you mean by that, it's a simulation? Okay, well, in, really to answer that question, I'd like to just go into a sequence of a couple things uh, about sure. um, quantum physics, and then mm-hmm. you know we can talk a little bit about uh, the Gnostic mystics and so forth, because much of this information is so counterintuitive to our own belief systems and our own everyday reality, and uh, you know you almost sort of have to build on this like building blocks, like a platform, in order for people to really understand. So. The the, uh, the simulation is a little bit higher up in the pyramid, so let me start down at the base and talk about a couple things here. So uh, okay. in the early 20th century, uh, a German, brilliant German physicist named Max Planck started to, around right around 1900, started to study the properties of light. And what Planck uh, came to realize was that light is not does not come into our world continuously. It comes in in like packets of energy that he called quanta, and that was where we get the term quantum physics from. And uh, Planck was, it was very interesting that Planck had a couple quotes and, uh, from, you know, from his research, and he, Max Planck said, there's no, there's no such thing as matter. Uh, matter exists because of a force that brings the particles of an atom to a vibration. And that behind all matter is a conscious, intelligent mind, which is the matrix of all matter. Almost sounds like Guru Swami Lama Ding Dong saying something, but no, it's the father of quantum <laughs> physics right. uh, that, 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 that's making these quotes. And, and, and Max Planck set the whole stage for later physicists who are starting to come to the belief that the entire creation of the universe operates more like a giant thought than a set of mechanistic laws. So then we have um, Albert Einstein, uh, who comes into the scene and starts to talk about the relationship between matter and energy. 
So um, we had some classic experiments, again, in the 20th century where a lot of this uh, quantum physics was formulated. And it showed, as Max Planck said, that um, particles at the very most fundamental levels of existence don't exist. Now, remember, particles are what we consider, you know, that make up matter, math, our bodies, our, every, our chairs, tables, cars, mm-hmm. everything, you know, are supposedly made of particles. But at the most fundamental levels of reality, no particles exist. What exists are waves of energy. And right. um, yeah. these experiments indicated that human consciousness plays a role in collapsing these waves of energy into particle form. It was called the Copenhagen interpretation after Niels Bohr, who uh, was one of the famous early physicists. So then Einstein uh, furthers or you know, deepens this whole mystery by E equals MC squared. And E equals MC squared, the formula basically says that matter and energy are the same thing. They're interchangeable forms so that matter comes from light energy and it resolves back into light energy. That's the basis for nuclear bombs. When you split the atom, you're, you're basically taking the energy stored in the atom, and you're releasing it by energetic form that created the atom, and it creates this you know, tremendous, uh, the tremendous flow of energy. So you, you see where this is heading, okay? These discoveries by mm-hmm. Planck, by, by Bohr, by, uh, by Einstein are all showing that essentially matter is a form of energy. It's a lower vibratory form of energy, but it, it derives from energy. So our solid, visible world comes from unsolid, unseen energies. Right away, there's an illusion. There's a, vir- there's a virtual simulation in that right now because, you know, the, the atoms itself are 99% space and light and energy and only 1% matter or mass. That, that's a fact. We concentrate on the 1% and we're oblivious to the 99%. So there's right. there's an illusion right away, you know, inherent in, in you know, that, that whole thing. So now you're asking about more specific, specifically about um, simulate, simulated reality or like holographic universes, uh, they've called it in, in uh, scientific circles. So in 1982, physicist named Alain Aspect showed that subatomic particles can communicate with each other instantaneously, regardless of the distance between them. They could be light years away, and they are completely connected. So that would be like, let's say there's a Patricia on Earth, and there's a Patricia on Mars, and somebody pinches Earth Patricia, and Mars Patricia says, ouch, at the exact same instant. Now, how does that happen? Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, there's no uh, you know, tin cans and strings connecting them to sound each other out, but it's happening by some, you know, invisible means. So what, what, the, what the, as the scientists, the physicists started to study this, they started to theorize that, well, you know what, maybe these particles and these things that we all think of as separate things aren't really separate after all. Maybe they're really one thing with separate appearances. They're one part of, of a uh, of sort of a holographic projection. And they're just separate appearances. And the characteristics of a hologram are pretty interesting because any part of a hologram that you slice and dice contains the complete image of the whole. So you see there's the interconnectedness mm-hmm. there. And, and now, now we start to find that, you know, this light, this energy, these particles and everything, they, they're communicating with each other, uh, you know, constantly. And, and they, uh, you know, they have to explain that by saying, wow, um, you know, maybe there really is a matrix here and we're all, you know, just separate appearances in this matrix. But at some deeper level, we all have this connection. That we've been, you know, speaking about. So um, yeah. that's when they started to formalize the whole idea of a holographic universe. Right, and I swear to God, I think sometimes that somebody has their popcorn out and they're watching all of us like a big soap uh-huh. opera. And <laughs> I and it just feels like know, you know we're seeing you know, let me it tell so you the real. Tr- let me tell you the truth about that. Yeah. I'll tell you the truth about what you just said. There's a great deal of truth in that, because let's go back to what Max Planck said. He said that light, which is the basis of all reality, and remember this, it's only because of light that we even perceive a physical universe. We perceive a universe because photons of light 
bounce off of things and they register electrochemically through the rods and cones in our eyes and we really experience them not out there but we experience them in the back of our brain as electrochemical images max planck said that light comes in quanta think of quanta as the frames of a film passing over a projector okay very very similar analogy there so um yeah I, i mean and and here's something even more interesting this is a real mind blower okay in the early 2000s, um, Jacob Bekenstein, uh, who was a, a brilliant physicist, um, started uh, looking uh, at some of the properties of black holes, which you know Stephen Hawking, the, the, the famous uh, physicist, had uh, was very mm-hmm. involved with black holes, and Bekenstein picked up on some of his research. And what was really interesting is that. Scientists have come to believe that all the world is information. It, there's information encoded in light energy, and uh, it's called information theory, and scientists are starting to come around and believe more and more that reality is a bunch of um, mathematical algorithms that are encoded in light, and they give form and they give shape to the various objects that we see. So Bekenstein found out that in a black hole, you know, you would think that the contents of the black hole, the information that makes up a black hole, lies within the black hole itself. That's kind of logical, right? Well, what he found out was that that's not true, that the information that makes up the black hole does not lie within the black hole, but outside on the surface in the event horizon. And let me bring this down to reality and something that's more understandable. Think of a bucket, right? And... Mm-hmm. um you, you know, our universe has boundaries, believe it or not. We have boundaries, so we're kind of in a universal bucket. So think of this giant bucket where our universe is in that bucket. Now, you would think that all the information that makes up our universe, you know, us, our bodies, the things we see and everything else is inside that bucket. It's not. According to what they found out with black holes, the information that makes up the universe lies not within the volume of the bucket, but it lies on the surface in of the bucket and it's projected inward so what Hmm. they're saying is that our reality is a projection from somewhere else it's a projection from some other dimension than what we think it is and this energy is projecting this information and essentially like you were just saying like sitting in a movie theater with popcorn we're we're kind of almost like um you know, the, the the old Star Trek series where they go into the holodeck and they'd have these immersive experiences that were very real with these characters that seemed real, but it was all it was all a projection. It, it, uh, that seems to be what the underlying nature of reality is here, according to developing quantum theory. That's very interesting. So at some point when you develop an awareness of what you're talking about, you could actually say to yourself... Uh, in all of your levels of consciousness, you know what? I'm kind of tired of playing the role of whatever you're playing the role of. Instead, mm-hmm. I would like to play the role of this. It's, it's kind of like gives you an opportunity to, to make a tremendous change just in the way you think. Once you understand this, the power of these connections and the power of the field also, because I think wasn't that referenced in the Stark effect that you, there's a lot of power in the field creating changes, too. So understanding this is critical to be able to make some big quantum changes in your life. Yeah, uh, it, you, you hit it right in the head because scientists were starting to say we need to shift energy away from, energy away from particles of matter and start to understand the field, the matrix. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there's, there's some top scientists that have you know directly had quotes on that. But this is actually a good segue because you're sort of touching – on the whole idea of co-creation, which is kind of another new age cliche. However, there is a basis to it, and that might be a good segue to start to talk about the Gnostics and how spirituality enters into this whole thing. Yeah, so, well, let's do um, this. Let's take a, a very short commercial break and come back and let's talk about that. How does that good. sound? All right. Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back. The health benefits of sunlight to our body are well known. Light energizes, light lifts your mood, and light can heal. What if all these benefits were combined into one portable device that you can use in the comfort of your home? 
The German medical device manufacturer Weber Medical has recently launched the Endolite Band. The Endolite Band looks like a smartwatch, but does so much more. This revolutionary band is equipped with true laser diodes that irradiate the circulating blood via your arteries. Each color provides its own powerful benefits. Red and infrared light deliver energy and regulate your immune system and blood pressure. Yellow is a real mood booster and improves sleep quality. Green impacts oxygen supply, and blue has anti-inflammatory effects. The Endolite Band has three programs. Recharge helps you start your day with energy. If you want to unwind and clear your head after a busy day, select Relax. When you need full support, select Recover, activating all diodes at the same time for the full range of effects. Improve your well-being at the touch of a button. 30 minutes per day gives you the advantage, and there are no side effects. Let the Endolite Band bring you a healthier life. Order now at www.wmedicalsystems.com. That's www.wmedicalsystems.com. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're having a fascinating discussion tonight with the author of Quantum Spirituality. Peter Canova is with us. And Peter, we're about to go on a whole other exploration with you. So let's, I'm going to let you take it from here on how we make changes by understanding exactly the principles that you've outlined in your book. Yeah, well, um, let me um, give you a series of quotes by some prominent scientists uh, to set the stage for discussing the nature of, of consciousness. And um, two very prominent astronomers, James Jeans and Arthur Eddington, had this to say, that the universe begins to look more like a great thought than like a great machine. Mind no longer appears to be an accidental intruder into the realm of matter. We ought rather hail it as the creator and the governor of the realm of matter. The universe Mm -hmm. is of the nature of a thought or sensation in a universal mind. To put the conclusion crudely, the stuff of the world is mind stuff. Okay, so that starts to set us on track. We have other, um, uh, you know, of course, we've already heard Max Planck say the same thing, that, that, that there's, there's a great mind literally uh, tying together uh, everything in creation. So uh, we have a cognitive psychologist who's gaining prominence now named David Hoffman, uh, Hoffman goes so far as to say that consciousness creates everything. We, we create an apple when we look and destroy it when we look away. If my dog is only a data structure, then what lies beneath the representation? Well, the answer for him is consciousness. And there is a movement now called panpsychism, which is a growing belief in science that consciousness is the fundamental source of all physical matter and energy, and it's present in every object and particle in existence to one degree or another. So that's what scientists are saying about consciousness. Now, let's talk about the Gnostics, okay, because this, gets, this starts to get very interesting. First, let me tell our listeners that the Gnostics were a group of mystics, and what makes them so special is they centered back about 2,000 years ago in Alexandria, Egypt, which was the great Greek city in Egypt that was really at that point, pretty much the center of civilization, even more so than Rome and even more so than Athens in terms of of, of knowledge and learning. And it was the melting pot of the world. Uh, You had influences from Hinduism, Zoroastrianism in Persia, uh, the Kabbalah, the Jewish Kabbalah, Greek Hellenistic philosophy, uh, and then eventually, uh, you know, Christianity. So all these streams of of, of philosophy and thought and, and mystic wisdom were were centered in Alexandria and absorbed by the Gnostics. And uh, the, the Gnostics, the Gnostic means in Greek to know. Gnosis means to know. And the Gnostics were those who knew. And the Gnostics were, of all the ancient mystics, I would say probably the most scientific because they explored the other realms of being and brought back information that's stunningly predicted the theories of quantum physics that we've been talking about. Now, to Mm. to give you an example of how the whole Gnostic system, how they envisioned it, the Gnostics said, as we've discussed, there was one consciousness that projected everything. It all boils down to one 
supreme consciousness that has projected everything in existence, a conscious, intelligent energy that expresses itself in light. It projects out and it creates and forms and expresses things by projecting its intelligence and direction and light. It's kind of like DNA, you know, in light. It forms, it, it gives rise to all the forms that we experience. And they said that this one consciousness projected out different points of consciousness that if you were in religious terms, you might call them angels, angelic beings or something. The Gnostics thought of them more as, um, as dimensions of intelligent energy. They, they weren't people as we know it. They didn't have bodies as we know it, but they were organized minds of intelligence. The Hindus called them the mind sons and the mind daughters of God, and that's kind of a good way to visualize them. Hmm, and dimensions, yeah. these, these, these parallel dimensions that revolved around the source that, that projected them, they, the, 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 the parallel dimensions were defined by the vibrations of consciousness, not by space uh, or, or, or any other characteristics. They were defined by vibrational conscious, consciousness of energy. So the, the, the uh, dimensions that were generated first and closest to the source would have had the highest spiritual vibration. And the successive dimensions on down would have had a little bit less each, each dimension. Think, think of like a CD, right? You make a copy of mm-hmm. a CD, and then you make a copy of a copy and a copy of a copy. Well, the original one has the highest fidelity. The, the successive copies lose a little bit of clarity, you know, with each, with each successive repetition. Well, it was the same way how the Gnostics envisioned this whole spiritual dimension. And these spiritual beings that were uh, projected from the source were the same thing as Jungian archetypes. In fact, they were given names like love, truth, justice, wisdom. They were attributes of the source and expressed the highest ideals of, of, of the source. And the source, essentially, what it was really about is, I mean, I'll, I'll, let's say God, okay? A lot of people get squeamish with the word God. I, I don't, because to me, it's interchangeable with supreme consciousness, the one, uh, you know, right. however you want to term it. But, but yeah. let's say, you know, God essentially was expressing itself through and, and realizing uh-huh. itself through these, these, in, these, in, these expressions that it was projecting outward. So, um, you know, the, the, the youngest of these, the, fur, the furthest projection from the, the source, was called Sophia. And Sophia is actually a major player in the Bible. Uh, the reason why we don't recognize it is because we get the English translations of the Greek, and Sophia in Greek means wisdom. And wisdom was all throughout the Bible, particularly in Proverbs and the Old Testament. And she declares, I was there from the beginning. I was coterminous with the Creator. She was, you know, as all these projected beings were, even though they were somewhat deluded forms, they were still very high spiritual beings and part of the, of the creation. But mm-hmm. Sophia is wisdom, right? Now, how does wisdom grow? Well, wisdom grows through experience. So Sophia decided that she wanted to explore her individuality apart from this orbit around the source. She kind of broke from the hive minds, in effect. And she, she looks out into what they call chaos, which is very interesting because we still use this in scientific terms today. Chaos was an area that was kind of like a void. But as we found out in modern science, there's no truly such thing as a void. There's no vacuum. There's no such thing as a vacuum. Inside every vacuum or every void, science has found that there are seething virtual particles, energy that has not yet taken particle form but it is a particular form of energy that you could call just before becoming a particle, protoparticle. Interestingly enough, Sophia plunges into chaos, which today science today would call it the quantum foam. She plunges into chaos, and something very strange happens. These inside chaos, they, the, the Gnostics said there was something called protomatter. Kind of a mind blower right there because it's almost an exact term for virtual particles or proto particles, right? So she yeah. plunges into chaos. The, the proto matter blocks and surrounds her like iron filings would flock to a magnet, and they start to engulf her and smother her. And she cries out to heaven, I am becoming as lead. Save me from this matter that I am turning into. So what's happening here is that the 
the protomatter is absorbing Sophia's energy and it's activating and it's becoming a new substance that's called matter. Now, it's not, not the same matter that we know, the very dense, dense matter, but it's more like a uh, finer form of matter, an ethereal form of matter. But it's matter nonetheless. It's something different from spiritual energy. So Sophia is losing her high vibratory rate and giving it over, getting absorbed into these you know, inert protoparticles and activating them into matter, but she's diminishing, and she cries out, hey, I'm becoming like lead. I'm becoming like matter. What, ha- what happens is a new dimension has been formed, a new dimension of, 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 of matter. Now, here's where it gets really, really interesting. We've talked about how Sophia was part of these parallel dimensions, which is the first mention of parallel dimensions, uh, which we now hear about all, all day, parallel universes and parallel dimensions. Well, the Gnostic texts say that this new dimension of matter could not coexist with the high spiritual energy and it was projected apart in a violent upheaval into a new dimension. Well, what is this describing? The Big Bang. That's what the Big Bang, the Big Bang was the appearance of matter from nothing. It was the Mm -hmm. appearance of matter from some energy which we can't describe because we can't see on the other side of the veil. But it, it, it literally burst and was projected apart in a violent upheaval, and that's exactly what the Big Bang was, okay? Now, other interesting thing, that it's describing is something called the God particle. You know, you may have heard of the God particle, right? Sure. It was in uh, the, the, one of the Dan Brown movies, I think, Angels and Demons, and, you know, people kicked it around. It was kind of a sexy, popular term for a while. Well, they mm-hmm. discovered the God particle in 2012. And w- what that's all about is this, that our universe is surrounded by an energy field they call the Higgs field. And uh, the inside the Higgs field are these particles they call Higgs bosons. And energy comes in to our universe. And scientists can manipulate energy, but they don't know what it is. They don't know where it comes from. They don't know what it is, and they can't really explain it. All they can do is manipulate it for certain outcomes. But energy comes into our universe, and the Higgs particles flock to these energy streams, and they surround them, and they slow them down to the point where they start to take on the characteristics of mass. So remember, we talked about E equals MC squared. Matter is just a lower vibrational form of uh, energy. And that's what the Higgs bosons do. They attach themselves to these energy streams, and they slow them down, and these energy, energy streams tar- start to take on mass or matter. What was that a description of that we just spoke about? Sophia, her high energy, being engulfed by the protomatter and slowed down and forming a new substance called matter. So here in the Gnostic story that they brought back, you see three huge parallels to modern quantum physics, parallel universes, the Big Bang, and the God particle. Now, there's numerous other, other things that I could, you know, drone on about in terms of the parallels between, you know, what the Gnostics said and what uh, modern quantum theory is saying. But th- those are maybe three of the most startling ones. Yeah, and it's it's, it's fascinating. and. Again, as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking like an audience member myself and going, okay, so that's all interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, how do I use this in my life to either reclaim my divinity or uh, have a better life? Or, I mean, you see what I'm getting at? It's it's nice to understand this and hear this, but then how does one make use of it? There's a number of ways that one can make one can, one can make use of it and it really depends on how you want to use this information. Well, the first thing I would say is that it indicates that a lot of the stuff that we've been hearing in spiritual circles is not BS, that there's a foundation for it. So right away that should enhance people's belief that there's gold at the end of the rainbow. There's a purpose to meditating. There's a purpose to being more aware. There's a purpose to understanding this information. It should, I think, inspire people when they understand that science and ancient spiritual texts are saying the same thing. They should inspire people that there is a reality, a deeper reality out there, so that when we're told things like God is light, there, you know, there is life after death, there is continuing consciousness, that we're part of a, a, a whole um, these things should really get people's attention 
and help them focus on understanding this more themselves. So, you know, we, we talked about how uh, experiments showed how human consciousness seems to manipulate energy waves and can actually collapse these energy waves into particle form. Well, that's some of the basis of co-creation and visualization. You know, people um, who can uh, essentially gear themselves up and use the process of visualization and, and play with elements like desire and inspiration can actually really effectively materialize things. There's a science behind the whole process of materialization. It's just, not just new age BS. You know, one of the things that always really bothered me about a lot of the stuff I read, the new age stuff I read, was it, it just sounded that people would say things, but there was no basis to it. You know, and they would mm-hmm. say stuff like, you know, right. that you could, that's all sounded good and sounded inspirational. But, you know, being the Capricorn that I am, I said, well, yeah, that's fine, but what's the basis for this? Well, I'm giving people the basis for it. I'm giving people both the objective scientific basis and the subjective mystical basis for all these things that they've heard. Now, what I have done in the book is I describe uh, how people can meditate and the factors that are involved in having uh, a meditation that can ultimately, you know, help them digest this information and put it into something where they can have their own, uh, let's say, mystical or revelatory experience. And there's a number of things that go into this, a number of elements. So there's desire, there's visualization, uh, there's expectation, there's um, uh, gratitude. uh, There's probably about a dozen different factors that I cite in terms of people being cognizant about in cognizant about in their meditative practice. So if they're able to get this book and they're able to read the information in there, they will understand the nuts and the bolts behind creation, behind how we perceive matter, what's probably really lying underneath. It's like a, a visitor's guide to the matrix. And once they have that information, it becomes like a roadmap for them on their own spiritual journey. And that's all I can provide. I can't provide extraordinary experiences. I can't provide higher consciousness to people. All I can do is give them signposts and act as a, as a in effect, as a, as a map. I can be their cartographer to give them a roadmap that they can use to put into practice to further their own um, spiritual journey and hopefully, ultimately, have these breakthroughs where they start to um, you know, their own intuition starts to play out in real life. And maybe they start to have some of the experiences that I had, uh, you know, with uh, getting information uh, from higher sources. And uh, look, I-, I will tell you one example uh, on how how practical this thing can be to better people's lives. I, I was living in Africa in the 1970s, and it was, uh, I won't mention the country, but the country that I was in was very dangerous. And um, we had to take a... Uh, a lorry from uh, a southern city up to the northern city in this country. It was about an eight-hour drive, and it went through you know jungle roads and everything else. Um, my father was actually with me at the time. We had some business up there, and uh, the airplanes in this country only work sporadically. So the day we had to be up there, they weren't working, and we had to take um, you know a lorry up there. And uh, the lorries are um, you know they're they're sort of like vans, and they usually have several people in them. So um, we we uh, started to get into this lorry, and it had a number of other people in it, and I pulled my father back, and I said, we can't get into this. And he said, what are you talking about? We have to be up there. And I said, something bad is going to happen here. I said, I, 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 you know, we, don't, we do not want to be in this. And we argued a little bit, but my father, by this time, had seen some of, you know, my, my things in operation. So, you know, mm-hmm. he reluctantly consented, and... Um, it turns out that same day, the lorry was attacked by brigands in the jungle, oh. and one oh person was killed. So, wow. so you know, when you when you want when you want to ask, I mean, that's just one example, but there's many many beneficial things. It can help people be more creative. You know, it, it, making these connections and getting these inspirations and connecting with this this higher consciousness. If you're a writer, you can write better stories. If you're you know, a filmmaker, it, you know, it, it helps. It, it look, uh, what's his name? David Lynch, one of my favorite filmmakers, Mulholland Drive, uh, and, 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 and other films. Uh, he is a regular meditator, and that's where he gets most of his inspiration from. When I wrote my book, Pope Annalisa, 
I channeled so much information that they ended up writing an article about how many of the geopolitical predictions in the book came to pass years later. Uh, in Ohm magazine, Ohm Times magazine did a whole article on it. So, you know, I really think everybody will find their own level of water and their own level of value in this. But like I say, um, all people like me can do is provide a roadmap of information to help, you know, guide everybody on their own spiritual journey. But at the end of the day, each, each listener, each person, you got to take the responsibility yourself because your spiritual growth is your responsibility, not mine, not Patricia's, not PK's or anybody else's. Yeah, and what uh, PK and I were talking about with your work that is so important the way we look at it, it's very grounding. I mean, you are giving a grounding to all of this, so it's not very mm-hmm. scary stuff. You have this uh, the nexus of these two very powerful forces, quantum physics and spirituality. You bring them together. And I think it's also very important because <clears throat> PK and I have been talking a lot about AI and I know, PK, you yeah. brought up a great point about the greed that comes along with something like that. There's also laziness. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like you can take a spiritual path, and you are giving a really strong uh, grounding, and you're really making a case for that, which is, of course, extremely important. And on the other side of that is this advanced technology with the promise of being able to do everything for you. You can think for you. Yeah. Right for you. Yeah. Can do everything mm-hmm. for you. So it's. I think it's important for people to realize that they have to. They're making a choice whether they want to believe they are or they're not. They're making a choice, and I. That's where we see your work is so critical. Well, uh, you're right. I, I don't do airy fairy, uh, and you're right. And the book itself is even more involved. It brings in Jungian psychology. I, I show, I connect a lot of dots in there. It's not just the quantum physics and the Gnostics, mm-hmm. but I connect uh, depth psychology from Carl Jung. Uh, uh, what do they call that new, the new DNA science, uh, epi- epigenetics? Uh, I, I bring a lot of different disciplines. Uh, into the same universal focus to show everybody is saying the same thing. Uh, And as far as AI is concerned, I have major reservations on AI because although I believe it has benefits, what bothers me about it is that, okay, I'm a person who's trying to break out of the simulation and understand what reality is. I don't want to be driven further into a, a newer simulation. And, you know, exactly. I think I think that's what a, I think that's mm-hmm. what AI has the potential to do is further drive people away into a virtual reality, so that we are that much more removed from recovering the place that we really came from, which is the spiritual mm-hmm. dimension. Because at the end of the day, the purpose of a human being, I think you will find in reading this book, the purpose of the human soul or human being is to spiritualize the material and it's, bring, it's to bring the, the experience of the material back to spirit. We're like the relay system between spirit and matter. We're the bridge. And the mm-hmm. purpose of us being here is, is for spirit to experience a form that it couldn't normally experience, which is matter being encased and existing in matter now that has its <laughs> that that has both its benefits and its and, and and you know its experiences for us but also it's very difficult because you know uh separated from our spiritual um origins we experience a lot of fear and pain and you know suffering however when you do get to a point and you start to have enlightened breakthroughs the 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 fear of that is the sense of fear. It starts to subside because you, you sense that there's a safety net around you. You sense that there is this other dimension out there, which you are really and truly part of. And that this is just um, spirit having a human experience over here. So, um, you know, again, this is where I'm trying to help lead people uh, with a better understanding so that they can view life instead of viewing life from the basement, they can crawl up a few levels and look at uh, everything from the penthouse. Yeah, that's it's wonderful. We have a, yes. a dear friend, Lon Milo Duquette, who is an occult expert, and he has said a couple of times on our show, it's all in your head. You just don't know how big your head really is. We thought that was great, and it really does address 
a lot of these issues and questions that that people bring up about where all this is coming from. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, this is my, uh, great. Go ahead, yeah, Peter. My third, the third book of my trilogy is called The Light of Distant Suns, and it's the story of how souls first entered into materiality, and um, yeah. you know, essentially, mm-hmm. essentially, we we are. Um, we we derive from this very high realm that I talked about at one time, and you know individuality. It it when when the source projected out these individual points of consciousness, in order to be truly individual, they had to have a sense of self, which means that they may have contained much of the consciousness of the source, but they had to have limits on that consciousness, right? So really. Everything from that, from the source, that from down from the source, is just a, a, a limitation of consciousness. And the reason why we have those limitations is it's necessary for us to experience individuality. Because if we didn't have limited consciousness, we would have the consciousness of the source itself, and would just be reabsorbed back into the source. So, in order to have individual right. experience, we have to have a limitation of consciousness to perceive mm-hmm. ourselves as individuals. So, what we were at one time was spirits. But we then became souls, and there's a difference between spirits and souls. Spirits are that consciousness that never really left sort of the higher realms. Souls were those pioneers that, like Sophia, plunged into chaos and took the dive and, and started to experience individual individuality in, in different forms, leading right down to the lowest form, which was the material world. So we we do as the Gnostics said we have the spark of the divine in us. That's where we derive from. We and, and this is a very important distinction between what the Gnostics tell us and Judeo Christian tradition. In the Judeo Christian tradition, we were like these little wind up dolls that God created and put in this lunatic asylum down here, right? It's kinda like yeah. a creation <laughs> is like a creation is like Geppetto mm-hmm. creating Pinocchio. Geppetto created Pinocchio, but Pinocchio was something different from Geppetto. The difference with the Gnostics said is that's not what human beings are. Human beings weren't these creations. Human beings were actual projections of the divine essence, essence itself in limited forms, but still projections of that divine essence. We have that string that goes all the way back to the stream consciousness that created everything. We're not aware of it until we cultivate our consciousness, but that is really the, you know, the, truth, the truth of the matter. So it's not a lowly thing to be a human being. You know, we, we were taught, I mean, you know, especially if you were like Catholic, you know, we were taught like, well, you know, we, we sinned just from being born. We messed up just from being born. Right. We had original sin. Yeah. And, and, and we're, forever, sure? we're forever trying to work our way back into God's good graces. Well, the Gnostics would say baloney. You, you, you know, the only sin is not realizing who you really are. It's not realizing your divine, uh, your divine heritage. That's that's the only true sin. You know, uh, so um, it makes a major difference when you understand your connection to consciousness, because you no longer feel like this insignificant little leaf being blown in the wind. And you know, what am I doing here? Where am I going? Right. No, that's that's a really good point. Yeah. There's a lot to think about. <laughs> and again, your book, everybody can get the book now. It is available. Quantum Spirituality is your newest book. And again, we've been talking to Peter Canova. Wonderful discussion, Peter. So enlightening. Thank yeah. you yeah, for thanks. being on the show. Yeah, and uh, thanks, you can um, please visit my website, petercanova.com. It's P E T E R C A N O V A dot com. I have another website, Pope Annalisa, P-O-P-E-A-N-A-L-I-S-A.com, which talks about the trilogy, the fictional trilogy. Quantum spirituality is the nonfiction underpinning of all the research that created the fictional book. So please uh, visit those websites for more information. I have one question that came in via text. I'm going to ask you really quickly. They want to know if you are still working as a medical intuitive. Is that something that you do for people? Um, like almost every other medical intuitive I know, at some point you cease doing that. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that that I, I, I won't go into, but it, it, it is a um, it's a taxing business. Um, mm-hmm. You're dealing with some very uh, very hard stuff, and uh, 
uh, at mm-hmm. some point you decide that, you know, you, you kind of want to lift yourself out of that and concentrate on other things. So almost everybody I've ever known that has been a medical intuitive, like you take Carolyn Mace, for instance, uh, they, you know, there's a period of time that they will do that service, but then, you know, they, they, they have to move on and leave it to other people to take that up. So, no, I do not do that anymore. Okay. Well, the question has been answered. No. Well, Peter, thank you for, for your time tonight. This has been great. Everybody, the name of the book, Quantum Spirituality. By the way, it's a beautiful cover on that book. So loved yes, it. Yes. Whoever designed it just did a fabulous job. So anyways, everybody, we will be back next week with another great show. And until then, we will see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.